I know this is going to be a great day because we have an extra hour of sleep. It's a full church. Great to see everyone. Uh, would you pray with me and ask God to bless the preaching of the word? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. And now we just pray that you would take over, that you would move in these moments. Help me to decrease that you might increase. And now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in our sight. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. I want to start off with our first fill-in. Concerning ourselves with what we cannot control is one way to go crazy. I don't know how many of you can relate to this when it comes to financial frugal planning. Uh, I don't know how many of you are sometimes nervous about the bank account. If you're the type of person who gets cold sweats when they look at the bank account or has worried about an extra 10 or $20 spent at the grocery store, you know concerning yourself with what you cannot control is one way to go crazy. Not just true of finances. What about driving? Have you ever been in a car where if you could, you would have taken the wheel and started driving for the person who was in control? Maybe they weren't going the speed that you wanted. Maybe they weren't handling the traffic the way you would. And, and, and you just craved to be behind the wheel and not being in control drove you crazy. Final one. What about your kids? If you have kids, have you ever dropped them off at a camp, at school, and the idea that you weren't in control just drove you crazy. Your, your mom radar was on. You wish you knew exactly what was going on. You wish you could control their friend group and exactly what happened in the sport and everything, but you couldn't. And you're going crazy. Have you ever wondered what's behind that feeling? Why do we go crazy when we're not in control? If you can relate to this on any level. And by the way, I can relate to all three of those examples. They're true in my own life. Well, I, I did some research and, uh, through WebMD, and WebMD is always super helpful. It never leads anyone to believe they have cancer when they don't, right? Um, WebMD. But, but here's WebMD's take on our quest for control. He said, uh, people with anxiety disorders feel a need to control everything around them in order to feel at, can you say that word? Peace. That is what I believe is in, in the quest for control. Why we want to be in control. If we're in control, we'll have peace. Psych Central said something similar. Uh, next quote. By trying to exert control over every aspect of a situation, you may be trying to create a sense of security, peace, predictability. But then what happens when we realize that we're just not in control? Peace is stolen. And that's why this topic for today is so important. Because we've come to worship God, and something you should know about God is that he is the prince of peace. And much better than trying to be in control of our financial circumstances is relinquishing that and trusting a God who feeds birds and clothes flowers. Much better than freaking out over the, uh, what our children are doing at summer camp or in school is understanding that no one can outlove your child as much as God. God chose their birthday. God chooses their talents and abilities, their, their opportunities. God is with them in any situation to defer to God and his control is a pathway to peace. So one of the passages that reminds me of this is from Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to just consider the beauty of some of these words. 
It says, he raised Christ from the dead, exerted control over death, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, God is ruling right now, he's in control right now, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. I just love these words. I hope you can just dwell in them this morning because God isn't just in control. He's not just above. He's far above. To play with that idea just a little bit, have you ever known a team or someone who is far above everything else? For me, I go to the original Dream Team. Anyone remember this? They weren't just above the other teams. They were far above. They beat other teams by an average of 52 points. It was ridiculous. If you can relate to that, this is God reminding us, whatever is against you, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you think is an obstacle, I'm not just above it. I'm like the dream team above it. I'm far above And he reminds us that he uses this control for the church. And the church is not a building. It is its people. He's using his control for you. Now, one misnomer is that we need to make a differentiation between American success theology and what God wants for us. I remember having a conversation over what it means to be truly blessed. Hashtag blessed. And sometimes as Americans, we use this when I found a sale at Target. Wow, that thing was like 70% off, hashtag blessed. Sometimes it happens when our kids win the game, hashtag blessed. Is that really what God had in mind when it come to the idea of being blessed? His idea of blessed is having your heart a little closer to his own heart having your faith, trust in him a little bit more, having you more dependent on him. That's being truly blessed spiritually. And that's what we want to talk about today, how God could use his control so that we walk a little closer to him, how he could orchestrate everything in your life so at the end of the day, your blessings would be spiritual ones, one of faith and confidence and, yes, peace. And so we talk about that through the lens of it's not about me, and uh, yes, the book is out. Here it is. So you could go into chapter 9, you could follow along today, and you would know my sermon. Um, but I'm going to preach on control today and pick out some of the great things that are in this book. Uh, I hope that God just uses it to point you to him, and uh, that it will be an easy, enjoyable, but helpful read. That was my goal behind this book. I hope it's a blessing. But one of the reasons that we need to look at control and say, it's not about me, is our next takeaway, our next fill-in. I believe if we finally give up our quest for control in those areas of our life that we want to take control, we can finally find true peace in the one who is in control. And that's what I want for you. I don't want you to be freaked out. I want you to live every day, regardless of the circumstances, having a confidence in the God who is with you, who's holding you in the palm of his hand. So let's get into the word of God today. And um, we're going to turn towards... Jesus' brother, James. And I don't know how many of you would consider yourself a planner. And I'll, I'll try not to beat you up if you raise your hand. Who would say, I'm a planner? I got a plan. I got a vision board. Schedule. I want to remind you today that James is not against being a planner. Okay? So I want to make that clear. 
In fact, I think there is earthly wisdom in this phrase that if you fail to plan, you plan to... Yeah, yeah, we know that. But what we will have is probably God's refinement on your planning. And what you will need to be open to is, is flexibility to the plan, to write it in pencil, not in pen. And so we're going to learn from the words of James, and uh, sometimes I just love standing in honor of God's word. Could we stand today in honor of God's word? So here it says, Jesus' brother. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. And so if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. These are the words that we're going to consider. Could you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, you're a mist. You're a mist. Like, I believe that the clouds that were out there are probably going to be gone by the day. Let's sit down. That was relevant. Thank you, God, for that illustration on my way to church this morning. I want to talk a little bit about science. And uh, what we know about the field of science is that it continues to evolve. For a long time, when it came to an understanding of the universe, many people thought that everything revolved around Earth. That was how the universe worked. In the 1500s, Copernicus had a different idea. He said, no, 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 I think the Earth actually rotates around the sun. Then in the 1600s, a telescope was made by Galileo. I can't even say that name. Some of you know. Galileo. I should know this from Queen, right? Bohemian Rhapsody. Galileo. Anyway. Is that what they were? Sorry for the tangent. All right. Um, anyway, he made a telescope, and, um, and he was able to observe the, the phases of Venus. And through ob observation, he, he came to the conclusion that, yes, indeed, Copernicus was right. Um, Earth and Venus are rotating around the sun. Now, that was because a telescope gave greater insight. You might know that in the 1990s, the Hubble telescope was created and gave us images like this. And through these images, we learn quite a bit about the universe. Uh, we learn that there are millions and maybe billions of galaxies. Uh, the Hubble telescope proved the existence of black holes. And what we saw is that with greater vision, when the telescopes could go further, we had greater understanding and greater proof. The reason I bring this up because when it comes to our perspective on life, I just want to remind you, you have a tiny telescope, and God has the Hubble. See, God sees everything with 20-20 vision. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he knows how it's going to work out. While we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, God does. And because of this, I think it should influence our idea of control and actually make us crave God's control crave that God would work it out because he sees it all. Let's take this understanding and apply it to a home purchase. I don't know if you remember purchasing a home. And, and you have limited time, you have limited understanding, limited money. And let's say you get the appraisal done and the appraisal was done well. They, they got it exact and so you're spot on, you know what that house is worth. Does the appraiser know how the market's going to change in five or ten years? Of course not, right? No one saw 2008 coming. Well, maybe some did, but anyway. 
When it comes to getting a loan, and you meet with a banker, and the banker looks at your income and, and looks at your employment history, does the banker know if you're going to be with that company in five or ten years? Absolutely not. What about a home inspection? You get the best home inspector. Someone who's able to point out every detail of the house, when the roof is going to need to be repaired, what's going on with the furnace, if the electric is in the right place, all of those things, and it's spot on. But does the best home inspector know when a natural disaster is going to strike, when a tornado comes through, when there's going to be flooding? And so if we were to pray, God, I want this house. I can see how our family could use it. God, this is the only house for us. I think that's short-sighted. The God who knows exactly what's going to happen in the future may have a different idea. So wouldn't you agree that maybe a better plan, because he's got the bigger telescope, is this, God, this seems like a good house. But if you see something we don't, please don't let it happen. If you see that it can work, please let it do, but your will be done. See, our next fill-in is this that we can trust God's control because his vision is greater than ours. So it's just wise to say, God, I don't even want what I want. I want what you want. Because you see it all. And you love me and you're good. This is exactly where James is trying to get us to go this morning. James, again, is not against plans, not against desires, not against dreams. But he's against an idea that says, I just want what I want regardless. And so he says, when you come to planning, whether it be a house or a vacation, whether it be retirement, whether it be your financial plan, whether it be a family plan, how many kids to have, how many grandkids to have, whatever it is, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, then we'll do this or that. And that's exactly what Jesus tried to teach us when telling us about the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, as some of you grew up learning about the Lord's Prayer, you see six spiritual emphases and only one earthly emphasis. What is that one earthly emphasis that Jesus told us to pray for? Daily bread. Daily bread. And just think of that. He didn't tell you to pray for weekly bread. He didn't tell you to pray for bread a year from now or a retirement bread. Because he would remind us we need a daily dependence on him. We can't live in a way that says, I got it all figured out. God, I don't need you. And Proverbs would warn us that with an increase of riches comes a temptation to disown our God. So God says, no, no, no. I'm just going to give you daily bread because you need me. And then he taught us, your will be done. We pray that every Sunday. Your will be done. And what is this will? Well, Luther reminded us and called us to spiritual understanding. God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and in faith until we die. His will, his control is for our faith, for our spirit, and so he might allow even bad circumstances if it helps our faith, if it helps us cling to him. But herein lies the rub. Because instead of wanting to pray your will be done, so often our sinful nature says, no, 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 I just want my will be done. 
when it comes to that home purchase, I don't know if you've ever gotten emotionally attached. You saw the house, you could see how it worked, and you got so emotionally attached that when it didn't come through, it was like, oh my goodness. And sometimes when our personal plans don't come through, we start questioning God. God, do you even care? God, did you hear that prayer? Like, you saw all the reasons. Why, why is this happening? And James, he kind of digs in on this, didn't he? He says it's not just unwise when we do this. He says it's arrogant. When we boast and we consider our plans better than God's plans, he says that's selfish. It's short-sighted, and yes, it's sinful. And so today, God calls us to repent of all the times. We've just said, I want what I want regardless. And as we repent and look to the Lord, as we are led to the rock that is higher than I, consider God's plans for us once again. Jeremiah 29 says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. God's plans for you are good. Just consider all the wonderful plans God had for you. God planned your birthday. Your parents didn't do it. He planned exactly what you would look like, your talents, your abilities, your opportunities. How awesome. God planned that his mercy and his love would follow you all the days of your life. As long as you were on planet Earth, he'd chase you down with mercy. God planned that along life's way, if you ever had a misstep, if you ever made a mistake, if you ever sinned, he planned for your forgiveness so that you could be clean and spotless in his eyes. He planned to use every misfortune, every hardship, every tragedy for your good and the refining of your faith. He planned that you would know love, that actually where you live, it's not an accident. In the book of Acts, it says he planned exactly where you would live so that you would reach out and find him. And guess what you have? He planned that someday you'd walk with him forever where there is no more pain or mourning or crying. He's trustworthy, friends. And the reason we can trust all these plans is because when it seemed like death had won, when it seemed like the devil had won, on Easter three days later, he rose from the dead and said, no, 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 I'm not just above, I'm far above. And all who trust in me do not trust in vain. And so our next fill-in. I believe God's plans for me are so much better than my plans for me. So much better. In fact, sometimes we should just praise God. I praise you, Lord, for all the times you said no to my ridiculous idea. Thank you for not agreeing to that prayer request. That's the goodness of God, friends. Because he's got a greater vision for your life. So, so plans is just one area that we need to defer control. The next area is so important. It's people. Sometimes we like to control people, but we just need to say that I am not in control of other people. Uh, to continue this conversation, does, does anyone know the one person that they can control? And this half the time with the help of the Holy Spirit. Who's that one person? I see it. Yourself, right? And I say half the time with the Holy Spirit because even Paul, after conversion, said, you know what, the good I wanted to do, I didn't do. I was out of control. And the evil I didn't want to do, that I did. Mm -hmm. 
The one thing that we can control, we can only control half the time with the help of the Holy Spirit, how much less the other people in our lives. Now, other people are in our sphere of influence. I remember learning this from my friend, Pastor Jeff. Sometimes you have a sphere of influence. That was helpful for me. And parents see this with young kids. If you have a young child at home, your influence is pretty strong. You can say, you know, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. But even if you have that authoritarian approach, you know you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them. And so you can tell them to do a chore, but unless they actually choose to do the chore, you can't do it for them, right? Tell them to do their homework. Unless they actually do it, you can't do it for them. So you have a sphere of influence with some people. But most people... We're not in control of it at all. We don't even have influence on them. Now, this was a bummer for me to figure out because I have a vision for walking with people at Amazing Love. And I think it's a good vision. I hope you would agree. I want to walk with you forever. So I don't want Jeff to leave, or Julie for that matter. Um, but I don't want any of you to leave. That's just that's my thing. Like, I, I want to live forever. So I want to, like, baptize you, marry you, and be there at your funeral. That's just my vision on our life together. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. But what I've recognized is that I can't control how long the people of my life stay in my life. I'm not. This is a season. I hope it's a long season, but I don't know. And maybe you've realized that too. You had someone and you're like, I just want to walk with this person forever. And then they move the next day. This person is so essential to my life. And then God called him to heaven. I consider this when it comes to a friend of this church called Abby Strong. And uh, Abby Strong actually helped us out this past year for our soccer camp. And uh, we got to know her last year because her classmate Aaron uh, was a pastor, classmate of mine. And he was called to heaven through a car accident. And uh, Abby Strong has just been confessing God's goodness and his control. I'll never forget the day that Aaron was called, what she said on Facebook. She said, he was the best dad, friend, and pastor. God is good all the time. He has this all figured out, and he will get us through the days to come. Lord, help me. What a beautiful perspective. She appreciated the presence that Aaron was in her life, obviously. But she deferred to God's control. He has this all figured out. And by the way, he is good. And if you met with Abby this summer, this is the confession you saw. Abby is still confessing God's goodness, even though, as you might imagine, this isn't easy. But she knows God is with her, and God has guided her, and God has blessed her. And so when it comes to people, they're going to be born on different days, and God's going to call them on different days. They're going to be in our lives for moments that we don't even know, seasons that we can't rely on. But there is one constant in a world of changing people and changing circumstances. That constant is the Lord. The Lord is both Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. And a man named Moses who recognized this, of all the journeys he had, he had 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in Midian and 40 years in the desert. He said out of all of it, that there was one constant. And in Psalm 90, he said this, that Lord... You've been the dwelling place. People came in my life and they left. But you were always with me. And because of this, we have something we can rely on. 
Not people's presence, but God's. And that's our next fill-in. That God's presence is the only constant presence I can rely on. I wish I could tell you how long the people in your life are going to be there. I can't. I hope those good people are there for a good long time. But if not, if not, God is there. And he's not leaving you. And he's not forsaking you. And if that's true, why would we live for the approval of people that are only here for a short time? I consider this when it comes to high school. I have two high schoolers right now, and maybe you'd reflect on high school and say, man, there is peer pressure during high school. Peer pressure to do things that may be fine, maybe be weird, but, but peer pressure nonetheless. For example, I consider styles back in high school. Do you remember your high school style? This was going on when I was in high school. Jinko jeans. Does anyone know Jinko jeans? I had a pair of Jinko jeans. Yes. Yes, I did. And the style at the time was ridiculous, and I can see it with 2020 vision. The style was that you would wear your pants so low that people could see your underwear. I remember having a classmate that pinned his jeans to his underwear to get the jeans still on, but at least he was still showing his boxers. That's ridiculous. But it's an example of how when we live for a subculture or live for a moment of time or live for what my friends think are popular, it's short-sighted. Right now, some of you are under the pressure of a boss and everything in you wants to please this boss. Right now, some of you are living for a spouse and everything in you wants to just obey the spouse Right now, something in you, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a child. And man, if, if they were happy, then you could be happy. And I'm saying that's the wrong way to do it. I'm not saying don't care, especially about your spouse and children. But I am saying there's a higher calling. And that is not to live for the approval of people who will come and go in and out of our life, for people whose feelings are as fickle as the weather in Chicago. No, we need to live for the God who is the constant. And so Paul put it this way. He said in Galatians 1, thank you very much, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? If I were trying to win the approval of human beings, whoever's in my life at the current moment, boy, would I go like this. But I'm not doing that, says Paul. If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And he is a servant of Christ. He lives for an audience of one. And so that next fill-in that we were here, God's approval, it's the only approval that will matter in the end. I hope you have a great relationship with your spouse. I hope you have a great relationship with your kids. But even if you don't, may you work in tandem with your heavenly Father, May you know that the cross of Jesus covers all of your sin, but may you follow his voice over all. He's the constant when everyone else will come and go. So when it comes to plans, it's not about me. When it comes to people, it's not about me. And this last topic might seem like a tangent, but, but I, I wanted to share it today just because I, I think it'll help some people. Um, and, and what I wanted to talk about is everyone's favorite topic, politics. Now, as I segue into politics, one of the things I love is that I represent the king of kings. 
That's my only goal. I want to be an ambassador for the king of kings and recognize his rule over every earthly kingdom. And what I'd also say is that you can be Democrat, Republican, independent. You can be whatever you want and be welcome here, all right? Because we're just going to come on behalf of the king of kings. But the reason I bring this up is because I know and I've seen people upset by political circumstances. Have you seen that? I have seen people have their peace stolen based on who was in power. Have you seen that? I've seen blood boil and rage happen and people go on the offensive over what was going on in earthly governments. And I think I have something that can be helpful. I wanted to tell you a story that I, can, I think can set you free if you understand what's going on. If you would say, yeah, that, that political stuff, it's gotten me more than a time or two. It's, it's boiled my blood. Man, it, it, it made me passionate. I wanted to share something that I think will be helpful. It's from the book of Isaiah. And a little bit about the context. In Isaiah, uh, the prophet is telling the future about a man who isn't even born. A ruler named King Cyrus who would lead uh, the, the Babylonians. And he comes 150 years after this prophecy. Not only does he predict Cyrus's birth, but we know Cyrus is a horrible ruler. He's a tyrant. And what we see is God planning to use a horrible tyrant for his purposes. So here's the prophecy. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, who, by the way, is an awful ruler, Cyrus whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor and to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Two things I love. God was not surprised by what Cyrus did. God planned it because he's the king of kings. Cyrus, though he was evil, did not thwart the plans and purposes of the almighty God. And this isn't a one-off. If you read the Old Testament and you remember how Moses went to Pharaoh, who was in control? God the whole time. If you read the book of Judges and how God used other nations to call his own people back to him, you're going to see God's control. If you learn about Nebuchadnezzar, just Google Nebuchadnezzar. And when Nebuchadnezzar did not honor God and put him first, God allowed him to grow feathers on his back, talons for his fingers, and eat grass. This is an amazing story. In the New Testament, a man named Herod did not want to claim God's authority or give God praise. And the Bible reveals the next day he died and was eaten by worms. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, regardless of what's going on in Israel or Ukraine, regardless of your thoughts of the political nature of our times, is still in control. And he's in control for who? Far above all rule and authority, the church. So that there would be a spiritual increase. So that we would depend on him, not a government. So that our faith would increase. And he will shake and he will move and he will be in control so that many, many crave his control because he is good. And so we've applied this principle to three areas, to plans, to people, to politics. But what would it feel like if for the whole of our life, what would it feel like if for the whole of our life we use this principle? Well, first, our last fill-in was the government one. 
the king of kings is in control of earthly governments. Because he is, we can have peace. And now a picture of what it would be like if he were in control. When I was growing up, I took long road trips with the family. Anyone else grow up with long road trips? And for me, it was awesome because we learned in the glorious age of conversion vans. I remember, remember these. I'm going to tell you the beauty. In, in the back seat, you could fold it down. It didn't make a queen-size bed. And, and that was in the day where seatbelt laws were a little bit lax. Like, no one cared as much. Some of you remember when seatbelt laws were a little lax. I'm not saying it was good. I was just saying it is. And so I'd be back in the, in the queen-size bed, and I'd have my Walkman cassette player listening to MC Hammer all through the night. It's awesome. And we drive through the plains of Illinois and through the Appalachian Mountains. Sometimes there'd be rain and sometimes there'd be snow. But no matter where we were or what time of day it was, I had peace. You know why I had peace in that conversion van? Because Dad was driving. My dad's awesome. My dad was the best driver on planet Earth. Never been in an accident. And so it didn't matter if it was snowing outside. It didn't matter if he stopped so quick that I kind of skidded across that queen-size bed. I knew I was going to be safe. Friends, this is a picture of what it's like when, when we as Christians say, God, I know you're driving. And what if today we just said, I, I want to claim that more and more. That even if the circumstances in my life seem like snow or a quick stop, I know you're in control. What if we started to crave that control even more than our plans coming to fruition and crave his refinement, crave his redirection, crave the fact that he knows more than we know and is directing us into what is good? What if we went into a new season or a new school or a new job and we had this confidence that I'm being held by my heavenly Father who knows how to open doors and shut them according to his will and his power. If we live like this more and more and deferred control over to him, you know what I think we would find? Peace. And we need peace, friends. Peace is yours today. Today I wish through the Holy Spirit you'd walk out today with confidence because God is on your side and God is for you. And God is far above all rule and authority for who? For you. He loves you more than you know right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just confess that it's so hard to relinquish control. I think my ways, my ideas are best. But Lord, today I've seen once again, you are the omniscient, you are the almighty, you are the all-powerful God. Help me to trust in you when I can't control what's going to happen next. Help me in those uncertain moments to know you are good and you're going to keep me safe until I see you. Lord, by your spirit, help us to place our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may it guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, a couple of announcements for today. Uh, something we love to relinquish control about is finances. And uh, thank you for all who faithfully give to Amazing Love. 
uh, we're always hoping primarily as, as pastors and as spiritual leaders that your spiritual development is growing, that, that you're seeing you can trust God because he's faithful in this area. Uh, we're also thankful that these are the gifts that help support us to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And so again, thank you for that support. Um, thank you also for those collecting our connection cards at this time, such important pieces of information. Um, so the book is here, and, um, and it's so weird talking about a book that you wrote, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, one of the ways that I think more people will draw attention is if, uh, if you rate it on Amazon. So if you've read it and you want to give an honest review, it's how it gets traction in today's world. Uh, so again, if, if you've read it, have it, um, and want to review it, uh, more people will hopefully find Jesus through it and hopefully be helped by its content, by God's Word. Uh, so feel free to, to look at that. Um, with that, uh, there are other announcements in your worship folder, including Pi Day and our coat drive. Uh, thank you for all who have brought coats to help other people. Uh, thank you, church family, for joining us on Pi Day and just celebrating Thanksgiving a little bit early. Um, that's all the announcements that I have uh, for this morning. Uh, now, though, I want to redirect our attention towards prayer. Uh, today, I just heard of uh, uh, a father who was called to heaven, leaving behind children. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, and God, in his wisdom, uh, chose to call him. And uh, so it's um, one of Vincent's friends, uh, Blake's father, and we're going to pray for him today. Um, after this, we'll also join together in the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess, while we don't always understand various circumstances, we do know your heart and your plan. We know that your heart is good and that you are compassionate. We know that your plan is that if you don't make us better, you're going to make us perfect. And we thank you that you have made Blake's father perfect. He is free from suffering and pain and mourning. But Lord, comfort them during this time, along with all who might be grieving right now over the loss of loved ones. Comfort them and sustain them. Remind them that they have the right to peace because you're with them and you're on their side. We pray this in Jesus' name, and I'll join in the prayer he taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.